Luke 18 and verse 1 says this. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. As we begin this new year, I've been working us through a series on some of the basic habits of the Christian life. One of the habits that we looked at for two weeks was the habit of time in the Word of God. The importance of that. Spent two weeks on that. And then this week and next week, I want to cover the topic of prayer as a habit that is vital to effective, strong, healthy Christian living. Okay, and as we work our way through this, I want, I want you to see prayer, time in the Word of God, as disciplines that the Bible says are means of God's grace. Okay, they're means of God's grace. Not the grace that saves, but the grace that sustains us in our walk with Him. And so in Luke 18.1, Jesus speaks to His followers, to those that are already believers in Him, and He says to them, uh, He gives to them a parable that men should always pray and not faint. Okay, which is to say what? That in seasons of prayer, we should be finding sustaining grace and strength from God. Okay, so that men should always pray and not faint. The idea of fainting means to not give in to evil or to become weary and lose heart. Okay, and there are times in our Christian life when we get tired, we get weary, we may be under the attack of the evil one and we feel that we might faint under the pressure. What should we do? The Bible says that we should flee into the presence of God to find help in our time of need. How do we do that? We take up the walkie-talkie of spiritual warfare, which is prayer, and we begin to communicate with God. We express our needs to Him. And in the context of prayer, we receive blessings and sustaining grace from Him. Jesus taught them how to pray so that they would not grow weary and lose heart. So my challenge to you, my encouragement to you over the next two weeks is going to be this. Cultivate a, a practice or habit of prayer in your life. Okay, now let, let's settle something up front, okay? My goal over the next two weeks will not be to make you feel guilty about how little you pray. Okay, most of us in this room would probably say, I should pray more. Okay, and what I find is this, guilt doesn't produce a lot of fruit in my life. Okay, the Spirit of God will come and bring conviction and change. He doesn't simply lay a burden of guilt on you and say, see how you deal with that. Okay, he brings conviction, but the purpose of his conviction is that we would repent and take up the mantle of an obedient Christian life. In these weeks that we're studying, we're looking at the mantle of God's Word and the mantle of prayer. Take these things into your life. Cultivate these disciplines and let them be, as the Reformer said, a means by which the grace of God that sustains will come into your life. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 18, the Apostle Peter said this, he said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's goal is that we as Christians would be people who are growing, making progress. Which means what? For every believer, there is room for improvement in our lives. So that as we would talk about reading the Word of God, or as we would talk about our times in prayer, we would realize that all of us have room for progress and growth. And these means of grace will bring sustaining strength into our lives if we cultivate a practice of Bible reading and if we cultivate a practice of prayer. So my aim and my desire is to encourage you to see the importance of prayer in our daily lives. 
so that as all believers, we would become people who pray more and more faithfully before God. Now, I want us to work through this discussion from three perspectives. The first is this, to acknowledge that there is in the Word of God an expectation of prayer. Okay, it's, it's what Christians do. It's what people that know God personally do. They spend time communicating with Him. So Jesus would say in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, four times, okay, He says, and when you pray, and then He gives specific instructions. And then again He says, and when you pray, don't be like this. And when you pray, do this. Okay, there is in the teaching of Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, an expectation that God's children are in constant contact with Him. Luke 18.1, a parable that teaches that men ought what? Always pray. Okay, so there's this expectation that rises. The first verse on your sheet this morning is Ephesians 6 and verse 18. The encouragement from the Apostle Paul is this, and pray in the Spirit on, listen to this, all occasions with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests with this this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the saints. Okay, fascinating verse, isn't it? The word all occurs numerous times. And it is that we pray in all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request for all the people of God. Alright, that is God's desire. There is an expectation in prayer. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this. He said, As it is the business of tailors to make clothes, and as it is the business of cobblers or shoemakers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Much prayer brings much power. Little prayer brings weakness in our lives. That's why Jesus in Luke 18.1 says, There is an expectation of prayer that men ought always to pray so that they don't faint and grow weary. Throw in the towel. If you're discouraged this morning, here's what I've encouraged you to do. Seek the face of God. Go hard after God in prayer. Seek His strength and encouragement. Communication with someone you love is natural. My wife and I, when we were uh, young, early 20s, uh, carried on a long-distance dating relationship. Uh, We were probably about 10 hours apart in terms of drive time. I never made that drive. Okay, We would see each other on holidays and things like that, but that was a drive I couldn't make. But what did I do? Okay, If I truly loved my wife, what I would do is, or my then-girlfriend, Okay, what I would do is I would seek to communicate with her on a regular basis. And so I wrote my wife a lot of letters, okay, communicating with her, expressing to her my appreciation, fascination, all kinds of things. Recently, my uh, daughter Jessica found out, much to my chagrin, that there is a box of those letters that was hidden in the shed. Okay? I built the shed, I put it up in the attic part. It's a big box of letters. She's been begging me to read those letters. I want to tell you what. <laughs> it was brutal. She's doing these dramatic readings of... And as I'm listening to her, I'm like, I really felt that. That's really what I meant when I said those things about my wife to my wife-to-be. All right, Jesse's reading them, and I'm thinking, man, I was, I was pretty good. <laughs> okay? I was like... Read another one. That was... All right, it's good. It's encouraging. Look, what's natural? What's natural is if you love someone 
and you have the opportunity to communicate with them, guess what you're going to do? You're going to communicate with them. So if there is a weakness in my prayer life, it's probably related to a weakness in my love and affection for God. You see, first of all, if I don't know Him, I'm not going to talk to Him. But if I know Him and my affection has grown cold, what I'm going to find is that there is a, a lack, a weakening, a, a slacking off in communication. And Christians, sometimes we need to realize that God has an expectation that we're going to come to Him and we're going to express our love and commitment to Him. If you love Him, you'll communicate with Him. It's the way that we interact and share life together with the Father. And it is a powerful, powerful means of grace. So there's an expectation of prayer, but then there's this. And this to me is, is, is an amazing thing. There is a divine, and I want to use the word summons slash, expect, or slash invitation to pray. Okay, there is a divine summons invitation to pray. I want to I pull up short from saying that there is a demand that we pray. Okay, my wife didn't sit in Pensacola, Florida at college saying, I insist that he write me a letter. But she was glad to receive letters. And if she didn't receive communication from me, she would have thought, he does not have deep affection for me. It would have been very natural for her to think that way. So, what do we have? We have this, this summons, this invitation that in this relationship of affection, we will communicate with God. That summons is communicated in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Follow along with me. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess, so that we don't faint. For we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. That is that there is a, a means by which we can connect with Jesus, and he completely understands the struggles and battles that we are facing. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, with, with boldness, with courage, so that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to do what? To help us in our time of need. Now folks, what is that? As the writer of Hebrews kind of coalesces these statements about the glory of God and the work of Jesus on the cross that gives us access into the throne room, what does he say? He says, let us then, let us together approach the throne of grace. Let us naturally respond to this invitation, to this open door that God has given to us through Jesus. It's, it's not a demand, come into my presence. It's, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation. It's a, it's a summons. It's an open door that God has put there that invites us into His presence. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these greater in terms of magnitude with a greater global impact. I believe that's the idea here. It would be hard to outdo the miracles of Jesus in terms of specific things such as raising the dead, healing people that were born lame. It would be hard to do greater things than that. But I think what Jesus is saying is that he, we who have the presence of the Spirit of God will do works of greater magnitude. We'll go throughout the world following the Great Commission. 
He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Okay, what is that? That's, a, that's an invitation. Do you need help today? Do you need strength today? Do you need encouragement today? What does Jesus say? Come and ask and I will do it. Do you need healing today? Come and ask. Do you need financial help? Come and ask. Do you need wisdom in a relationship? Come and ask. That's what he's saying. An invitation is open for us by the Savior. At the time of salvation, we are invited into His presence to enjoy a relationship with Him. Folks, I believe that's what happens in the, in the book of Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve are created by God, they enjoy a relationship face to face with God. Sin enters into the picture. Fellowship is broken. God comes in the cold of the day to do what? Interesting question, isn't it? Because I know what he's going to do. He's going to point out their sin. But why is he pointing out their sin? So that he can invite them back into a relationship with him. His desire is that they would know Him and love Him and enjoy Him. So He comes walking in the cool of the day, full well knowing that they have broken the relationship with their God by their rebellion. And yet, what does He do? He comes in the cool of the day to restore that fellowship. And in that coming, there is an invitation. There is a summons. There is help for sinners. And that is part of what we do when we pray. We respond to the invitation that God has laid out to us what will heaven be heaven will be the enjoyment of the presence of god and communication with him in perfection forever there is a summons so in light of this fact that there is an expectation of prayer and there is this open door this invitation to communicate with god we have to ask a question and that question is this why do we fail to pray Okay, If there is an expectation that we as the children of God would do it, and if there is this implicit, strong uh, attraction to the Father's presence through the work of Jesus, a, an invitation, a summons, if you will, come unto me, why is it that we as His children often do not avail ourselves of this blessing of prayer? Why do we fail to pray? I think one answer to that question is that there is often in our lives unconfessed and unresolved sin. Sometimes we need to be right up front with God. Okay? If there's sin harbored in my life, hidden in my life, I can guarantee you this. My prayer life will be weak. The psalmist put it this way. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Sometimes the, the reason there's a lack of prayer is that there's a lack of cleanliness in our heart. And to go before God who is holy is not appealing if I'm harboring sin in my heart. In Psalm 32, the psalmist says it this way. He says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I said, now here he is, he, he's coming under the weight of his sinfulness, he's becoming aware of it, and if you go and look at, at the beginning of Psalm 32, you find this acknowledgement of sin, and here's what happens. As he begins to experience the consequence and separation from God, alienation, distance, what does he say? Notice what he says. He says, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Isn't that beautiful? 
What keeps us out of God's presence? A sense of guilt, a sense of remorse, an overwhelming sense of being undeserving. What does He want us to do? He wants us to come into His presence and find grace to help us in our time of need. 1 John 1.9 is the promise that to drive us into His presence. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can enjoy this privilege of access to God. So this morning, if prayer is lacking in your life, first ask yourself this question. Is there areas, are there areas of unconfessed sin in my life that I need to take to God and find forgiveness? Secondly, I think this is true. I think we fail to grasp the importance and power of prayer. The importance and power of prayer. Ephesians 6.18, Paul says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the saints. So there's this, this idea in the midst of a passage that deals with spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6. It's the armor of God, and once it ends, it says, Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. Okay, that's the idea. So as you go to engage in the battle, spend time with God. Soak yourself in seasons of prayer with God. Understand its power and importance. One writer has said this. He said that prayer is a walkie-talkie for wartime, not a intercom for comfort. Okay? It's a walkie-talkie for wartime. It's not an intercom, uh, an intercom for me to get what I want. Okay, it's a walkie-talkie to get what I need. Okay, one of the most crucial things on the battlefield, if you talk to soldiers about this, one of the most crucial things for them is to have lines of communication. Because the lines of communication are the means through which help flows. So if in my life I am wrestling with the season of weakness with God, what do I need to do? I need to open up the lines of communication, take up the walkie-talkie that's for wartime, and begin to pray. Understand how important and vital prayer is. And I think if you look at the life of our Savior, you'll find that prayer was a vital part of His life and ministry. In Luke 22, verse 39, Jesus went out as usual. This is the evening of the crucifixion. He went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Why was he going to the Mount of Olives? Well, to do what he had done as usual. To pray. On the eve of his crucifixion, God in flesh knew that he needed to communicate, open lines of communication with his Father in heaven. Matthew 26, 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now what is that saying? It's saying that when Jesus Christ, God in flesh, moved towards the cross and understood the magnitude of what would be required of Him in terms of obedience to the Father, He sought the prayer support of His brothers, the disciples. Why? He understood that flesh could not do this alone. And he sought the support of his Father and fled into his presence to find grace to help in time of need. He understood the importance of prayer. If you were to read through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse, 41, or verse 14, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Acts 2.42 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Okay, it was the part, it was like breathing for the early church. It's what they did on a regular basis, inhaling and exhaling a relationship with God. They understood how vital and important this was. And I think there's a sense in which Jesus says this to the disciples in John 15 and verse 5. He says to them, without me, you can do nothing. Which is to say what? Nothing of lasting or eternal value will be accomplished in the power of my flesh. So what do I need to do? I need to take up the wartime walkie-talkie of prayer, communicate with the Father to find grace to help in time of need. To find strength when our strength is failing. So I think we don't pray sometimes because we don't grasp the importance of it. So Ephesians 16, 6.18 is saying, do this at all times, for all people, in all circumstances. Comprehensive communication with God about all of our lives. But I think another reason that we don't pray is this. And, and, and I want to be careful how I say this. Okay? In my notes, I have the word need in capital letters. Okay? We don't pray because we don't need to pray. Okay? And you say, Pastor Tim, what do you mean by that? Okay, what I mean by that is this. Oftentimes, we're not attempting anything in our Christian life that would require His help. So we don't need to pray. Now, we do need to pray, and what we'll find is that there is an anemic nature, a weakness that will come into our spiritual lives, but often we just simply don't need to pray. Why? Because not, there's nothing that we're, we're attempting for God that will require the help of God. Okay, I'll give you an illustration. Start becoming conscious of your God-given call and role in evangelism. Start trying to share the gospel in the power of your flesh, based upon your wit, based upon your intelligence, your ability to argue and give apologetics. Try to do it. What you will find is you become utterly worthless and ineffective in that endeavor. You'll find that you are unable to do it. But if you start to take up a a heart burden to say, God, I want you to use me to share your truth with others. Guess what you're already doing by saying that? You're already requesting help and and power to do it. So I I think often we're we're, we're caught in a a weak approach, in a stagnant approach to the Christian life. We're distracted. We're apathetic. And the reason we don't need to pray is because we're not doing anything that will require the help of God to accomplish it. And yet when I look at the Gospel of Luke, here's what I find. I find that I think it's on nine occasions in the Gospel of Luke alone, we're told that Jesus goes off to pray. Typically, he goes off to pray prior to large events and encounters. Why? Because he's seeking the help of his Father. He needed to pray. I think we are often guilty as Christians of playing it safe. We're not attempting things that require the help and assistance of God. Because when you start living that kind of a life, here's what you're going to find. Your hand is much more frequently on the walkie-talkie of prayer saying, God, I need your help. I need your direction. I need your wisdom. Okay, so I want to encourage you this morning. Start to attempt great things for God that require His help, and you will find that your prayer life begins to increase. In fact, I think we could say this. Start attempting anything that God directs you to do, and you will run quickly up against your personal weakness and understand, I need your help. And you will find that your prayer life, as a result of love for God, affection for God, a desire to serve God, will begin to grow. Another reason that we don't pray is I think that we have an inadequate view of God. 
We don't see God for who He really is. We don't see His all-sufficiency. We don't see His incredible power and attributes that are displayed all around us in the work of creation and on the pages of Scripture. We don't take time to look at those things. I want to turn your attention to a passage of Scripture. Or, or, real quick, go, on, go, go back. Is he, Ephesians 6, 19 and 20 I have on your sheet in terms of attempting great things for God. Just real quick, read this verse for you. Paul says, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words will be given to me that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Okay, now what's wrapped up in that? What's wrapped up in that is the fact that Paul is attempting something great for God. He has fear of failure. How does he fight his fear of failure? He fights his fear of failure by praying and asking others to pray that as he attempts great things for God, God's power will come down and the Spirit of God will begin to work and great things will be accomplished by and for the glory of God. And back to this next thought. We don't pray sometimes because we have a small or inadequate or weak view of God. Psalm 20 and verse 1 says this. It says, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send help to you from his sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. Verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots but we, and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the king. Answer us as we call. This is a powerful statement. Very, very powerful statement. Some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. What do you trust in? The psalmist says, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And then what does he say? An exclamation, God, send your help. Okay, have a high view of God that recognizes that the things that we're to accomplish here on earth for the glory of God require supernatural and divine assistance. Attempt great things for God, and as you do it, say, God, I understand that you are great. Your capacities are infinite. They're mind-blowing. They're incomprehensible. And so I'm going to reach out to you and ask you to come and make yourself known in the midst of our lives. Psalm 33 and verse 16. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his strength. Interesting thought when you listen to uh, political campaigns. How we tend to be verbose and grandiose and braggadocious about the might and power of America. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his strength. A horse is vain hope. And a horse would be a tank or a helicopter or a jet. Okay, a horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those who, whose hope is in His unfailing love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait, the psalmist says, in hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. And then notice what happens. May your unfailing love, O Lord, rest on us. May your covenant love Rest on us as your children, even as we put our hope in you. Do you see what the psalmist is saying? 
He has a high view of God. And he calls God down into his life through prayer. He calls down air support. Just like a soldier on the field, cornered and under attack, would call in air support. That's what the psalmist is doing. Oh Lord, we call on you. We know that we're not saved by our own strength, by our own wisdom. And so we cry out to you for help and strength. Gain a greater view of God. And put your hope in Him. The last reason I would suggest to to you this morning for why we don't pray is this. I think we often simply fail to plan to pray. Okay, we fail to plan to pray. We don't... We don't make it a habit in our lives. One thing I've learned in exercise is this. If I don't come up with some type of agreement between myself and the thought of exercise, okay, in terms of how often I'm going to do this, I, I get so sporadic and ineffective at it that it's not making any difference in my life. Okay, but I find if I make a commitment, I'm going to do this two times a week and this two times a week, and, and I make a, a commitment, I say, this is going to be part of my life. I find that I schedule it into my life. Now, I'm not usually able, because of my schedule, to say it's going to be at this time every day. I would love for that to be the case. So what I have to do is kind of make a commitment that says, on a regular basis, I'm going to do these two things two times a week. Okay, And as I set out a bit of a pattern and a plan, I find that I'm more effective rather than saying, you know what, when I get around to it, I get around to it. Okay, All of us know what it is to fail in that regard. All of us know that in order for someone to become an Olympic athlete, sporadic training will not be effective. Okay, To be good at something, to be excellent, to be high quality at something, you know what you have to do? You have to plan to train to do it. You have to put thought in it, intention, will. And I believe the same thing is true with prayer. I believe that often we don't have an effective prayer life because we fail to plan to pray. I want to draw your attention to a couple of passages from the Word of God that talk about how people planned to pray. And this is just a few examples, not all the ones that are present in Scripture. When I say a plan, I mean a time, a place where I'm going to get this done. Okay, where this becomes part of my life. Just like getting up and having a cup of coffee or having breakfast. or plan, Just like that is part of your life. Plan prayer, seasons of prayer, into your life. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Most of you are familiar with the story that is referenced here. Daniel is uh, living under the threat that if anyone prays to anyone but Nebuchadnezzar, they'll be thrown into the uh, fiery furnace. Okay, that's the situation. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Now when David learned that the decree, ordering the death of anybody that prays to anybody but the king, when he heard that the decree was published, he went to his house, to his upstairs room, where the windows were open towards Jerusalem, Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. The next phrase is crucial. Just as he had done before. Okay, what is that saying? That's saying that Daniel's fleeing to prayer in a time of trouble was not an emergency measure. It's not something he did out of panic. It was Daniel just doing what Daniel did. It was Daniel praying without ceasing. Why? He had a pattern. 
three times a day, he would get on his face before God and pray. In Luke, Jesus prays on nine occasions. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, the early church devoted themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Okay, as you go through Scripture, what you're going to start, start to find and get a sense of is people had regular habits of prayer. Okay, our fa- a failure to plan is a plan, one has said, to fail. If I don't plan prayer into my life, what's going to happen? I'm going to fail to pray. If I don't understand the importance of it, if I'm not attempting great things for God, if I'm harboring sin in my life, I'm not going to pray. Folks, God wants us to pray. And, and real quickly, I just want to give you two practical thoughts, two practical steps that may help you to apply this discussion to your personal prayer life. Okay? One I picked up from a book that I read two or three years ago uh, called A Praying Life by a guy named John Miller. Uh, In that book, he encourages you to use three-by-five cards as a means of recording prayer requests and then cultivating a habit of habitual, regular prayer in your life. Okay, it's something I've tried to work at. Okay, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not as regular in prayer as I would like to be. I don't want you to think that I'm holding myself as an example that's just like Jesus. Okay, I'm not there. This is an area that I need to grow in. And so what I did is, I took his idea of taking three by five cards. These are, I would say 90% of the times, these cards are on me somewhere, usually in my right back pocket. Okay, and what I've done is this. I have a card that's for my family things that I'm praying for my wife and for my kids. Sometimes I'll record verses on there that I want to pray for them, from things that come up in devotion, something that you want to, to share. I also have a prayer card that is for missions. People that we support, missionaries that I'm aware of. To do what? To be able to uphold them in prayer. I have a card. If you looked at this card, you probably couldn't read it because my writing is horrendous. Okay? But this card is current needs. Okay? Gwen Vitale's name is on this card. Nancy Guru's name is on that card. Okay? If you talked to me and shared something with me recently, a burden in your life, I probably wrote it on this card. Okay? I've got to rewrite this card because there's a lot of things that are checked off and things have been taken care of and answered. Okay, but I don't... You may say, okay, I could not do that. Okay, and I, I don't go through all these every day. I try to pray for my family on a daily basis. That's one I try to go through regularly. The missionaries try to go through that on a regular basis. Why did I do this? Okay, I did it because I tend to be too sporadic. If you know me personally, you're just shaking your head saying, yeah, you are. Okay, uh, I just, I need to have something established as a pattern in order for those things to happen. You need to be wise into how God has wired you. Okay, and if you need to write things down in order to remember them, I don't know if you're like me, but I'll often say to someone, yeah, I'll pray for that. And then later I realize I totally forgot. Not intentionally. It wasn't a lie, it's just I forgot. Okay, so find a way somewhere in your, in your iPhone. Maybe there's an app for that, I don't know. A way that you can be reminded. Things that I pray for, and it just pops up there. I'm sure there's ways to do that. Use technology, use whatever it takes to cultivate a pattern of prayer. And the other thing I would challenge you to do is this, and this goes back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, context, warfare like Christian living, putting on the armor of God. Verse 17, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18, and pray 
in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of personal requests for all people. Okay, what is that saying? Cultivate a link between what you're reading in Scripture and your prayer life. Okay? Cultivate a link. Tie them together. Okay? So that as you pray, you're praying the promises of God. Okay? And you will find this to be profoundly encouraging. Psalm 114, 7 and 8, a text that I preached to you on New Year's Day. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. He turned the rock into a pool of water, hard rock into streams of water. Take a verse like that and pray that. Say, God, give me faith in your unfailing power, in your abundant power. Let me see you at work in my life. Isaiah 41, probably a very familiar text from the Old Testament, something you can pray. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, who have I has chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners. I called you. Which is to say what? If you are experiencing and enjoying a relationship with God, God actively moved in your life to bring you into His presence, to bring you into a personal relationship with Him. He says to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Could you not say to God, God, I thank you that you saved me. I thank you that you worked in my life to bring me to a place of saving faith and belief in the gospel. Thank you that you opened my eyes. Thank you that you have called me to be your servant. And then the next part of the verse says this. In light of that work of God, so do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Folks, can you, do you see? Link between that text and prayer. As you pray, God, thank you that you are with me. Thank you that you sustain me and uphold me by your righteous right hand and that I don't need to be afraid. Do you see? So, so cultivate a, a connection between Bible reading and prayer. Let them work together. And then as you go into the day, meditate on the Word of God. And as you meditate on it, what you'll find is that you start bringing requests to God. God, would you melt that rock into a pool of water, that impossible circumstance in my life? Begin to pray and ask Him to work and to move and to bless in your life. Get a plan. I don't know what your plan will be, but get a plan. Make it part. Intentionally say, God, I want to honor you by communicating with you. Just like at college, I had to carve out time to stay in constant contact with my wife-to-be, expressing my love and affection and needs to her. So we do with God. Why? Because we love Him. And because of His love that has been expressed to us. And He says to us, so do not fear. Take a promise. Claim it. Pray it. And ask God to sustain you and to change you. Prayer is a means of grace to sustain us. Luke 18.1 so that you do not grow weary and faint. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, pray that you do not what? Enter into temptation. Folks, can I ask you a question? How often do you face temptation? It tells you how often you need to pray. And when Jesus comes back and finds Peter, James, and John asleep, what does he say? What? <laughs> what? You couldn't stay and keep watch with me for one hour? Oh, how convicting is that? Peter, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Folks, we all face temptation on a daily basis. Therefore, we need to take up the communication instrument of prayer and talk to the Father, call on the support that we need 
Attempt great things for God. Don't live an anemic life. Maybe this morning you lack a personal relationship with God. I want to be abundantly clear. Do not think that by an abundance of prayer you can get God to forgive you of your sins. By one prayer, your sin can be vanquished. It's the prayer of Luke 18, the next text. You know what it is? It's what the, the, it's what the tax collector prays to God at the temple. What does he say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, that man went down to his house justified. Declared righteous in the sight of God. Why? Because he prayed enough to win the favor of God? No, because he simply acknowledged his need. Okay, prayer is a means of growing in grace. It is not a means of attaining grace. Praying will not save you. But expressing your sin to God and repenting of it and trusting in the blood of Christ will alter your destiny forever and make you a praying man, woman, or young person. Okay, so please, don't come say, well, I've got to pray to get God's favor. You cannot earn God's favor. But His grace and strength comes as we seek His face in prayer. Father, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. God, make us a church that prays. Let us cultivate a habit and pattern of prayer in our lives so that we cannot be any longer weak and anemic, but so that we can be strong and mighty in the Lord so that we do not faint and grow weary. Because life sometimes, Lord, is very hard. It's draining. It can be at times exhausting. Let us be people that flee to You, I pray. And we ask these blessings. We ask for Your help in the name of Jesus who summons us, who invites us to come. And Lord, if there's one here this morning who does not know Your saving grace, I pray that today they may realize that through exercising spiritual habits, they can't change their life. But by simple prayer of repentance, their life can be changed by the power of God. And so God, come. And so God, work and move in the hearts of Your people this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.